Now this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the word of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he who might be, re- might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. A few years ago, I took a trip to the Royal Easter Show back in the days um, when I was skinnier than even I am now. Uh, And as a kid, I tripped around with my parents and I did what kids are supposed to do, which is do what your parents tell you to do. So I found myself avoiding the uh, roller coasters and the Ferris wheel and I wasn't even in the showbag pavilion. I found myself in a smelly pavilion Uh, a stinking pavilion with prize-winning bulls. Now, I was shocked as I saw some of these creatures. I I grew up in Port Macquarie here, and I I hadn't been acquainted with bulls that much. Uh, Some of these bulls were enormous. I couldn't believe it. They weighed over a tonne, and some of them weighed more than the car we were driving at the time. That's how, how big they were. Well, I was walking around that pavilion for a while, and I got quite a surprise for just out of nowhere it seemed, a a stuffed shirt looking man uh, in some formal kit rolled in and in a pretty loud voice so that most in the pavilion could hear it, he said something to the effect of, ladies and gentlemen, please make your way for the Governor General. There we go. And he's coming. No, he's not coming in here. Uh, And uh, at that time, uh, there was a hush that came over the pavilion as uh, everybody knew that we should be listening to this guy. He, we had to pay attention because there was a special visitor coming next. And with that, the, uh, the Governor-General, I think it was Sir Ninian Stevens at that time, uh, he started to make his way through to observe the uh, prize-winning bulls and livestock. It was, after all, the Royal Easter Show and he was our uh, representative instead of the Queen. Well, there we go. There was my experience of getting a, a, a royal sort of an announcement uh, and, and get coming to a, having a, an encounter with a, a special visitor. 
Uh, that was all very fine, but I, I didn't really know who the Governor-General was as a cheeky little kid. I didn't know what the Governor-General was supposed to do. And so in some ways that fanfare and grand entrance, it was all a little bit lost on me. So I think I went back to trying to find which was the heaviest bull in the pavilion. Well, what's that all got to do with the story before us today? Well, let's try to blend the stories now. So uh, in, uh, in the story that we had read for us before, that Claire read, we saw that there was somebody giving an announcement uh, and he was the one that they needed to listen to because there was a special person coming after him. Uh, we listened to that announcement for John, from John the Baptist. John was down at the Jordan River and he gave his announcement, but we're receiving that same announcement today, uh, but we're in a, a different kind of place. We're in a, a different kind of pavilion. So we'll just see if you can get the, uh, the picture of my story now. So I did a corollary with my kids before I did this sermon. Uh, shoe is to foot what glove is to hand. Good, getting warmer. Yeah, so in terms of humanly speaking, the announcer in the pavilion... Uh, when I was rolling to show, he corresponds in our story to John, John the Baptist, good. And humanly speaking, the Governor-General corresponds to Jesus, good. We're all, I'm sure you figured that one out, but I just can't be too sure. Well, let us take a moment now to think about what John had to say. Let us be uh, among those who hear his announcement and think a bit about what the the force of it really is for us. Let's get a few things straight to begin with. There are a couple of Johns that we encounter in this book. One of them's the baptizer, and the other is the, the writer of the gospel whom he describes as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he doesn't, he doesn't refer to his own name in the book. And so John gets a bit of a profile. John the Baptist, that is. We saw that in chapter 1, beginning at verse 6 through to eight. We got acquainted with him. He was the one who comes as a witness to the light. And John's witnessing starts to take shape in today's chapter in verse 19, where he starts to bear witness or testimony to the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem. This idea about bearing witness and, and providing a testimony is bound up with the idea of um, legal telling the truth, things that can be relied on. And it fits in very well. John, the Gospel writer, has included this so that we can have firm foundations for our faith. As this one tells the truth, we can rely on what he's got to say. John includes these things as part of his overall purpose. If you're doing a bit of Bible flipping there, I'm going to read to you the purpose for this Gospel. We see it in chapter 20, in verses 30 and 31. The author John records many things about uh, John the Baptist, Jesus and the miracles that Jesus did. He says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so we need to keep this overall purpose in our minds, even as we start reading through this book, that John records things so that we come to a firm conviction about who Jesus is and have life through him. And so this morning we look at John the Baptist who bears witness to Jesus and he helps us to have our faith on firm foundations. So what does John 
have to say about who he is. Who is John and what is his message? Well, that's something that the priests and the Levites, did you notice, were also curious about. And the first thing we learn is that John is the voice, not the voice that you might have seen in TV programs where people start to become rock stars, but John is a different kind of voice. I'll pick it up in verse 19 if you're reading along. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Christ. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the delegation from Jerusalem, you might have noticed, uh, are a bit like detectives, aren't they? They're a kind of a snoopy group, aren't they? They, they interrogate John and bombard him with a few questions because they're anticipating that there's some end-time figure, some end-time character who's going to come and they're trying to figure out if John is one of those people. They seem to start asking about whether he's the Christ. Uh, they're expecting a king to come on the throne of David. Uh, but John uh, tells them that he's not the Christ, he's not the Messiah. And so they're familiar with their Bibles and they know about the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, and they're anticipating that Elijah might come. Uh, Malachi chapter 4 verse Five says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. And they're expecting that kind of figure to come at the end. And they ask John if he is that person. Elijah, if you remember from the old covenant, uh, was taken up to heaven in a chariot. Um, and they're anticipating him coming again. He had a reputation for calling people to repent, to turn back to God at the time when there was uh, fire coming down from heaven on the altar, uh, Elijah was trying to persuade people not to waver between serving God and serving the Baals. And Elijah had a reputation for, for calling people to turn back to God. And so it's understandable these visitors from Jerusalem can see John doing the same thing and associated John maybe with that Elijah figure. It's interesting, there's a little bit of a mystery here in the New Testament because uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 9 verse 13 does say that uh, if you're, you're willing to accept it, the Elijah has come. That's, that's John the Baptist. Uh, but here, John's sort of saying, no, I'm not the Elijah. It might be that John's saying, I haven't been reincarnated as, as Elijah, but he certainly takes on the Elijah role of calling people back to God. Either way, the next person on the list that the delegation from Jerusalem is curious about is someone whom they call the prophet. They're wondering whether John is the prophet who's uh, spoken about in Deuteronomy 18. And we see that, that prophet's uh, anticipated also in this gospel. If you're doing a bit of Bible flipping there, you can turn over to John chapter 6, verse 14. John chapter 6, when Jesus has done some miracles... The people respond in John chapter 6, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, 
they began to say, surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. And so there's an expectation. Uh, these visitors are wondering whether John is that person. Well, they're hoping that there's going to be some end-time figure who's going to come and help them out. They're in a complicated situation with Roman occupation and they probably wanted somebody to help them out sooner rather than later uh, with their, their state of affairs, which they don't really like. But it's not going to be John. Are you the prophet? He answered in verse 22, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Well, thankfully, uh, John starts to spell things out. He starts to join the dots for this delegation from Jerusalem. And he describes himself as the voice there in verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness or the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, this is an interesting uh, part of the Bible, this quotation from Isaiah 40. Because at the time it was given, there's, there's hope given to the exiles that their exile to Babylon would come to an end, that God was going to come and rescue his people. But what we learn from this passage is that effectively John's saying that prophecy wasn't completely full, fulfilled back in that time. Even though the nation of Israel had come back from Babylon, that's why they're, they're in the promised land now, uh, that prophecy wasn't yet completely fulfilled because the Lord and his glory hadn't returned to the temple in quite the same way it was at the time when, in Solomon's time, the, the Shekinah glory, the, the glory spirit, filled the temple. And even though they're back in the promised land, the, the fact is they're, they're not free, they're under Roman occupation. And so John's saying, look, that prophecy in Isaiah hasn't been completely fulfilled in the past, but... This is a very special time because John's saying, I'm the voice. This prophecy's being fulfilled now. He's saying, it's now time for you to get ready for the Lord who's about to visit. And so in many ways, this is a very remarkable uh, part of the Bible. Uh, because what becomes clear is in the Old Testament, when it says the Lord, that's talking about the living and true God, is going to come and visit, get ready for him. But what we see here is when John's saying, I'm the voice saying, get ready for the visit from the Lord, uh, Jesus is the one who turns up next. This is something I started to work out back in the 1990s. I was reading these things and I was going, well, that's talking about the Lord, the Old Testament, living in true God. And now what we see is when the Lord comes, Jesus is coming. And I'm thinking, well, what does that say about Jesus? Yeah, he is the Lord visiting his people. And that's really capturing something, the message of John's message we saw in chapter 1, verse 18. We saw from uh, what Scott preached on last week. If you have a look at chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. The Lord God visits his people in the person of Jesus and as we come to know Jesus, we're coming to know the living and true God. And so our challenge is to receive Jesus as Lord. This is a mystery that we can accept, but it's hard for us to fathom and understand. 
at Christmas time we sing hail the incarnate deity that God's become flesh and as we do we remember that God is one but that he's a complex unity father son and holy spirit and so this morning we're invited to see Jesus in very high and exalted terms that he isn't just a man there was a song a few years ago uh, in Jesus Christ superstar where I think Mary Magdalene in the song sings you know he's a man he's just a man but this perspective here that we've been given this morning is saying no that's that's actually incorrect Jesus is more than just a man he is the living and true God visiting his people and our re right response is to worship him and that's what we we think about a bit at this time of year well the second thing we're confronted with in this passage is that Jesus is also the holy one we see that in verses 24 to 28 now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet I baptize with water John replied but among you stands one you do not know he is the one who comes after me the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing now this delegation from Jerusalem is somewhat bamboozled by John they can't recall scriptures that refer to an end time figure that he's going to start baptizing and so we're wondering what is John doing what is this baptism all about well there's a couple of layers to understanding it uh, one of them is that when John speaks and calls people to turn back to God he's he's reminding them that they they can't assume that just because they've got Jewish ancestry that they are the children of God that they're right with God in Luke chapter 3 verse 8 he says produce fruit in keeping with repentance and don't begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father just because they've got a genetic link to Abraham they can't assume that they are the children of God and so he's inviting all of them to go and be baptized as a way of becoming the the uh, the people of God there's also a bit of a hint uh, about where this is happening in verse 28 we're told that this is happening on at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan uh, when the people of God were moving out of their exodus from Egypt and into the promised land they they cross over the Lord uh, the, the the Jordan River to get into the land and John's taking his baptism on the other on the other side that's where he's situated as he baptizes people in the Jordan and then they'll re-enter the land almost as a way of saying we can't assume that we're we're right with God we need to turn back to God but John doesn't actually make much of his baptism in verse 26 he says I baptize with water and in verse 33 he says the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and the news is, is that his baptism is really really nothing it's more symbolic of what Jesus will do this idea of being uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit's bound up with a being washed clean and, and giving been giving a new birth and uh, so John saying his is just water but Jesus is the hero he's Jesus is the real deal in this story he's the one who gives the Holy Spirit which John's is just a, a little foretaste of 
The language that John uses to describe Jesus is impressive. He talks about his not being good enough to loosen Jesus' sandals. It's a nice way of saying, compared to the majesty and the holiness of Jesus, I'm nothing, I'm just a a second-class citizen. And so the force of this is to remind us how special Jesus really is. John doesn't even think he can come close to Jesus. And so we're encouraged to think about Jesus in very exalted terms, that he is holy, he's not like us in this respect. We fall short of our calling to be God's people, even though Jesus uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 calls us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect, Jesus knows that he's got to lay down his life for us because we don't live up to our calling, but Jesus does. He's holy. He lived up to his calling to be the faithful son of God and he comes to do something important for us, which we see in the next section, point three, Jesus comes as the Lamb of God, in verse 29 to 34. I'll read that section for us now. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now when John talks about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, uh, he could be talking about lambs that were sacrificed in the temple um, and their blood was shed for the sins of people. But it's possibly more likely he's thinking about uh, the Passover lamb. The great salvation event in the past for Israel was when they had their exodus from Egypt uh, into the Promised Land. That's how they were saved. That was the great salvation event. But the great salvation event in the, in the New Testament is not so much uh, you know, released from slavery from Pharaoh, uh, it is released from slavery to sin and death. That is the salvation event in the New Testament. And the Passover features at the end of this book of, of John, uh, and a few days before that Passover feast, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now at this Passover time, Jesus, as the Passover lamb, the the Jews uh, shed the blood of the lamb, put it on the posts and the lintel, and the angel of death passed over and they were delivered. But John describes Jesus as as, uh, the lamb of God who takes away our sin. And then when Jesus picks up on this theme of uh, what he's coming to do, he, he starts to refer to another department of agriculture with this, uh, the seed, the seed um, idea. I was talking this morning uh, with a guy who is a farmer uh, and I was telling him about our little um, backyard crop of corn and just when you've got a, 
a, a single um, cob of corn, how many seeds you get off it. And I said, I think there might be about 300 corn seeds you can have. And, you know, Jesus is talking here about one seed and it has benefit for so many. And he, and he started to trumpet. He said, oh, yeah, but with sorghum, you can get, uh, you know, one, two kilograms of sorghum can give you eight tons. Oh, right. Well, that, maybe that's a better one. Uh, so what we're getting the picture here is that Jesus uh, knows that if he, he lays down his life, that has produces life for many. He's, he is our solution to our problem, isn't he? Our problem is that we're, we're not like Jesus. He was the, the faithful son of God. He's the one who's holy. Uh, he's holy and majestic. He's the only one who doesn't deserve to die. But we see his compassion for us and his willingness to die. Jesus comes as the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Well, John gets people ready for Jesus, doesn't he? And we need to be uh, people who remain uh, with our focus on Jesus as well. John talks about his role as baptising with water, but Jesus baptises with the Holy Spirit. And those who turn back to God and exercise faith in Jesus uh, promise that they will enjoy life. We saw that last week as in verse 12 when we read that yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. When people believe in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit and they become born of God. This is a real blessing for us as we uh, think about our lives and how we, we fall short. Benjamin, I think, talked about how many people here are perfect. I think only one hand went up today. But um, the uh, reality is uh, there's a great deal of comfort for us today as we think about Jesus and what he's done for us. Uh, it, is, it is good for us to know that we are right with God, not because of any of our righteousness, but what he's done for us in Christ. Well, how should we respond to Jesus, the Son of God? The delegation that came from Jerusalem were curious. They were pretty curious about John the Baptist and wanted to go back with some news for those who sent them. But they didn't get too far, did they, in uh, listening to John's message about Jesus? They would have been uh, better off listening to John and, and focusing on, on Jesus whom he referred to. Well, may we be among those people who do uh, listen to the messenger and, and get our uh, focus on Jesus and maintain our trust in him. Uh, let us be among those who uh, enjoy Jesus as, the, as our Lamb of God who takes away our sin and continue to live with our faith in him. Let us close in a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you that uh, John the Baptist gets people ready for Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, his was a message that you were visiting in the person of Jesus in a, in a marvellous way. Uh, we can see uh, that you are complex, one God who makes yourself known in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Lord, we give you thanks that Jesus was the Holy One, but that he came as the Lamb of God who would lay down his life for our sins and, and take our sins away. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the, the comfort of that message this morning, uh, that Jesus died for us and that he brings us forgiveness, that we, in, we can enjoy life with you. 
Lord, please help us to remain um, among those who continue to listen to Jesus, to serve him as our Lord and Saviour. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him and to persevere uh, to the end as your people. Lord, we thank you for this encouraging word from John's Gospel this morning to us. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.